0: Just listening to the House of Mercy, waiting for the waters to stir.
1: It is easier to memorialize the dead and to work to make their deaths unnecessary and their lives matter. Welcome everybody to the Memorial Day weekend Sunday service podcast. Uh, Debbie is not here today. She is uh, at her daughter Olivia's graduation. Congratulations to Olivia and to everyone else that Graduated this year. Good work. Um, and, um, oh, I'm not here either. I'm on vacation. We'll be for the next uh, three weeks. But uh, we have today preaching for us Richard Pemberton. It's so good to hear from Richard again. And uh, as always, he will have for us uh, a good and thoughtful word. And to let you know, to remind you, to entice you, to urge you to come, we are having an in-person outdoor service on June 20th, a couple weeks from now. And we urge you all to go. And then The big deal, on July 11th, we will begin to meet in person, inside, again, regularly, every week. And uh, there still will be some precautions, um, but uh, it will be good to see you all. Um, Please uh, come with a smile on your face, unless you, you know, aren't happy. Come as you are, emotionally and any other way. This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. Please join me now in the prayer of invocation. God of mercy, grant us the peace to pause in this moment and the grace to simply be in your presence. Guide us to consider what it might mean to abide in you and for your Spirit to abide in us. Give us the understanding that as you abide in us, you abide in every other body, in every living being you abide. Amen. May the peace of Christ be with you all, and also with you. Let's exchange the sign of peace with one another, either with those with whom we are present, and those we hold in our
0: heart. I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. And then a little light from heaven filled my soul. It bathed my heart in love, and wrote my name above. And just a little talk with Jesus made me whole. Man who watches day and night? I go to him in prayer. He knows my every need, and just a little talk with Jesus makes it right.
1: I you please join me now in the prayers of community. I'll end each prayer with Lord in your mercy, and I invite you to respond to our prayer. God of mercy, this is the weekend to get away, to get together with family and friends, many of whom we have not seen in such a very long time. Many of us are venturing out into these social situations for the first time since it is beginning to be safe to do so. Whether we rush into the gathering's eye, barely able to keep our hugs to ourselves, or barely slip our foot across the line, our introversion still set on high. Give us the presence to understand what we are feeling and the peace to be okay with it. Lord, in your mercy, Hear our prayer. God of mercy, this is the weekend set aside to remember those who have fallen, those who have died in America's wars. We remember not only those who have died in military service, but those who have died in America's undeclared wars, those who have been killed through overt and systemic acts of racial violence. We especially remember George Floyd on the one-year anniversary of his death at the hands of the Minneapolis police. Give his family peace and the power to continue to seek a justice so long denied. Help us to remember that George and Dante did not sacrifice their lives in this fight for racial justice, but that their lives were taken from them violently by police officers in racial violence, in all violence, declared and sanctioned, just or stemming from injustice, that everyone is injured. God of creation and recreation, please bring peace in any way possible. God in your mercy, Hear our prayer. God of mercy, it seems that spring was always going to be a long time coming, that around every corner was some new kind of grayness or hold dulling overcast. Thank you for bringing us through all that. And though these times of trouble are not over, we can see some bright sky, some green freed from the soil, heads turning towards the sun. We are grateful for all the beauty, mundane and spectacular, in creation. All the birds nesting, the people leaving their nests. From every morning to every evening, thank you. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy we pray for those in need of healing physical emotional and spiritual that you would be present with them that you would give them what they need we know that you are a God of recreation and a God of healing We give them over to your care. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we have not loved you with all that we have. And we have hurt the people in our lives and those who pass through our lives with the things that we have done, said, thought, We ask for your forgiveness, and we're confident that you judge us with your grace and forgiveness. God, in your mercy, hear our prayers. God of mercy, meet us now in this extended time of silence. May we always live
2: in the mercy. Amen. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings with two, they covered their faces and with two they covered their feet and with two they flew and one called to another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory the pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called and the house filled with smoke and i said woe is me i am lost for i am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me.
3: Our uh, Bible text for tonight, read by my son Nick, thank you Nick, describes Isaiah's call to prophecy. This is something of a trope in the Old Testament. Each of the major prophets has a call narrative associated with him, And yes, all of the so-called major prophets are men, though the Bible contains hints that there were important female prophets as well, such as Moses' sister Miriam. Isaiah's call is particularly dramatic. God appears to him on a throne surrounded by divine personages with six sets of wings no less, who proclaim that God's glory fills the entire earth. But Isaiah feels unworthy to accept God's call, declaring that he is uh, lost, a man of unclean lips, living among a people of unclean lips. So one of the seraphs remedies that flaw by touching a live coal to Isaiah's lips, exercising his guilt and blotting out his sin. And now Isaiah is ready for prophesying when God asks whom shall I send? Isaiah responds send me. But the call narrative doesn't end there, and what follows reveals the hard and bitter road the prophet must travel. For after Isaiah accepts his call, God sets forth the message he must must preach, an unwelcome message to say the least. So God tells Isaiah Go and say to the people. Keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. Make the mind of the people dull and stop their ears and shut their eyes so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds and turn and be healed. Now, what kind of a charge is this? Why send a prophet to preach a message that is certain to be rejected? Why command a prophet to preach in such a way that the people are bound to turn against him or her, to cover their eyes and stop up their ears? This unpalatable divine charge is not unique to Isaiah. God sets the prophet Jeremiah against the whole land, against kings, princes, priests, and the, the whole people of Judah. They will fight against you, God tells Jeremiah, but they will not prevail. So after receiving such an unbearable charge, Isaiah is naturally curious when it will end. How long, O Lord, he asks. Well, um, you know, they taught me in law school that you should never ask a question if you don't uh, think you'll like the answer, but I guess Isaiah had no legal training And the answer he received was unwelcome indeed, for God tells him he must preach until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is utterly desolate. In fact, he must preach until the entire land is destroyed and only a stump remains. And ironically, the sole remaining stump is the only hopeful remnant in God's charge to Isaiah, for the holy seed is in that stump. Now, what makes one a prophet? Contrary to popular belief, prophets are not fortune tellers. And although they often predict uh, dire outcomes if people continue on their present path, their primary concern is with the present, not the future. According to Abraham Joshua Heschel, an amazing Jewish scholar and activist who wrote a seminal book on the Hebrew prophets, the prophets harbor such a passion for justice and such a hatred for injustice that they may seem hysterical. But if such a deep sensitivity to evil is to be called hysterical, asks Heschel, What name should be given to the abysmal indifference to evil which the prophet bewails? So Heschel describes prophecy as, quote, the voice God has lent to silent agency, a voice to the plundered poor, to the profaned riches of the world. Was Jesus a prophet? We know that Jesus was many things, a teacher, a rabbi, a healer. Some passages in the New Testament portray him as a king. But Jesus does have some traits in common with the Old Testament prophets, including the rejection they endured. Jesus thus reminds his disciples that a prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. Sometimes the prophet's news is so unwelcome that the prophet is put to death. Is this what happened to Jesus? Of course, there are many explanations as to why Jesus died. One that used to have lots of currency is called the atonement. Namely, that Jesus died to ransom us from the damnation we deserved due to our grievous sins. And in his characteristically arresting way of putting things, Martin Luther describes Jesus as the greatest sinner, for he took upon himself all the sins of the world when he was crucified for our sakes. But more recently, people have questioned atonement theology, noting it implies a retributive, even a sadistic God, who demands a cruel ransom for humanity's misdeeds. Might Jesus have been killed instead for his role as a radical prophet against religious hierarchies and empire? Some see Jesus' uh, act of cleansing the temple, of driving out those who are selling and buying, of overturning the tables of the money changers as the final act leading to his crucifixion. In so doing, Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah proclaiming, My house shall be called a house of prayer for the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Mark tells us that when the chief priests and scribes heard it, they kept looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. But Jewish religious authorities lacked the power to kill anyone. That power was jealously monopolized by the Roman Empire. So to frame Jesus for execution, his enemies claimed he wished to usurp Roman rule by proclaiming himself a king, the king of the Jews. And indeed, the inscription of the charge against Jesus when he was crucified read, the king of the Jews, not false prophet, not religious heretic, Jesus was executed as a perceived enemy of Rome. We Christians sometimes isolate Jesus and John the Baptist and the Old Testament prophets to the Bible and miss how relevant they remain in our contemporary world. In my lifetime, which uh, is no doubt longer than many of yours, there have been several prophetic voices. Some of these prophets paid the ultimate price. They were killed, not so much for their beliefs, for one can believe whatever one likes if one keeps it to oneself, but for the public proclamations they made and the activities they undertook in the name of justice. Now we have a way of honoring our most famous prophets in the breach by rendering them benign and sanding off their abrasive edges. There is no better example of this than Martin Luther King Jr. because each January, we celebrate King's legacy by selectively quoting portions of his, I have a dream speech made at the March on Washington in 1963. And to be sure, this is a great speech worthy of remembrance. But most politicians and official chroniclers ignore what King did and said after successfully leading the movement and Jim Crow in the South. For after that success, King turned his attention to the twin problems of militarism and poverty, connecting both to racism. Many in King's movement, along with the establishment press and politicians, turned against King when his focus shifted. Though formerly reviled by Southern governors, police chiefs, sheriffs, and other bigots, King was lauded in the halls of liberal political power for his civil rights leadership. (coughs) He won the Nobel Prize. He was named Time Magazine's Man of the Year. Prestigious newspapers such as the New York Times sung his praises. All that changed when King shifted his focus to opposing poverty and militarism, particularly in the context of the Vietnam War. King delivered a sermon at the Riverside Church in New York City, 1967, and from the pulpit he proclaimed, I speak as a child of God and brother to the suffering poor of Vietnam. I speak for those whose land is being laid waste, whose homes are being destroyed, whose culture is being subverted. I speak for the poor of America who are paying the double price of smashed hopes at home and death and corruption in Vietnam. I speak as a citizen of the world for the world as it stands aghast at the path we have taken. Now, at this point, all the liberal institutions that had praised King as a civil rights icon turned on him. By connecting racism with militarism, said the New York Times, quote, Dr. King has done a disservice to both. The moral issues in Vietnam are less clear-cut than he suggests. The political strategy of uniting the peace movement and the civil rights movement could very well be disastrous for both causes, Close quote. The newspaper of record also condemned King for linking poverty to warfare. Quote, Dr. King makes too facile a connection between the speeding up of the war in Vietnam and the slowing down of the war against poverty. The eradication of poverty, said the Times, is at best the task of a generation. This war inevitably meets diverse resistance, such as the hostility of local political machines, the skepticism of conservatives in Congress, and the intractability of slum mores and habits. Close quote. The last phrase is telling, implying as, as it does, that poverty should be blamed not on policies enacted by the rich, but on the slum mores and habits of the poor, particularly the black poor. And King's former, if never reliable, former ally, President Lyndon Johnson, turned on him as well. Johnson withdrew King's secret service protection, leaving him vulnerable to assassination. But King, like the prophet Isaiah, persisted. He began organizing a poor people's march on Washington. In a 1967 television interview, King acknowledged that in many ways, the dream he spoke of in 63 had turned into a nightmare as ending poverty and militarism required real sacrifices that many priv- privileged white Americans were unwilling to make. And I might add, they're still, we're still unwilling to make them. King foresaw that his life would end violently and soon, comparing himself to Moses, whom God had allowed to see the promised land, but who had died before reaching it. Tellingly, King was shot while in Memphis, Tennessee, preparing to lead a march of striking sanitation workers. He had wrestled with himself and with his God, and having made the connection between racism, poverty, and militarism, he didn't let anybody turn him around. He died in some ways a lonely figure, rejected by most of the white liberals and even many black leaders who had earlier praised him. A prophet is indeed not without honor, except in his own country, his own neighborhood, during his or her own lifetime. And yet, prophecy sometimes yields fruits of justice and mercy in ways that are hard to see at the time, often not apparent until years later. In 2000, I traveled to El Salvador to honor the martyrdom and celebrate the witness of Archbishop Oscar Romero, who spoke out for the poor of El Salvador and against the US-backed political regime there. Romero was assassinated in 1980 while saying mass. He had just written to President Carter requesting that the U.S. cut off military aid to El Salvador and had just preached a sermon imploring and as the Archbishop commanding El Salvadoran soldiers to lay down their guns and stop killing their brothers and sisters. And that was the last straw Romero was assassinated. In 2018, Romero was canonized, reflecting a welcome shift in the Catholic Church. But, during his lifetime, he was condemned by Pope John Paul II for, quote, politicizing the Church. Once again, we see that a prophet is never without honor, except in his own country, during his or her own lifetime. Still, I will never forget one of our tour guides in El Salvador, a young nun who told us, I never knew Monsignor Romero during his lifetime, but I've known him in the resurrection. Now, should it surprise us that a devout Catholic nun spoke about the resurrection of someone other than Jesus? I don't think so. For what can God's incarnation in Christ mean if not that God's presence dwells in us also, and perhaps most particularly in God's prophets? Nor is prophecy limited to Judaism and Christianity, for prophets are of many faiths and sometimes of no religious faith. But all prophets, however diverse and contrarian they may be, hold in common a particular faith. For each of them proclaims, along with the prophet Amos, let justice flow down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream.
1: This is the Lord's table and all are welcome. On the night He was betrayed. Our Lord took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. And in that same manner, after the meal, he took the cup and said, This is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of all sins. As often as you Drink this. Do so in remembrance of me.
0: Amen. To Canaan's land, I'm on my way, where the soul of man never dies. My darkest night will turn to day, Where the soul of man never never dies Dear friends, there'll be no sad farewells There'll be no tear dimmed eyes Where all is is peace and joy and and love And and the soul of man never dies The rose is blooming
1: Into this week, stepping forward in the mercy, filled with peace and eager
0: to live in this world.